Welcome back to the Rainy Day Horror Show. I hope you guys are having a good and flamboyant weekend. Alright, it is Sunday. Yes, tomorrow is Monday and we're going to go to work and blah blah blah. Do all the dumb shit that us adults have to do. But before we even go into Monday, alright, we're just going to have a good day where I am going to explain a terrifying serial killer, okay? Now, not terrifying in the sense that he mutilated people and stuff like that, but if you go to the doctors, all right, this story is going to be on your mind, okay? His name is Harold Shipman, and he was a serial killer in the UK who was happened to be a doctor and would murder his victims, all right? So, just think about that next time you go to the doctor's office, okay? If you don't know who I am, I am Dusty McValls. I am your host with the most, and I am the certified cougar hunter, okay? Now, before we get into this story, put those Crocs on, all right? Put them on. We're going on an adventure to the UK for this awesome serial killer Sunday, okay? Strap them bitches in adventure mode, all right? Get a drink. Get a little snack, all right? I've been munching on goldfish for the past three days because goddamn goldfish are so fucking good. We love goldfish over here, all right? I'm a little upset today just before we get into it because it is fucking snowing outside and I hate the fucking snow. I hate the snow and the cold. If I had to pick one or the other, I guess I would take the snow over the cold just because, fuck, I hate the fucking cold. It sucks. But... It's okay. Only have four months to get through it, through through with it, right? Hopefully, it'll all be gone by you know, end of March, early April. But who knows? Minnesota weather fucking sucks. All right. One day it could be ninety, the other day it could be fucking sixty and freezing. Just doesn't make any fucking sense. But we're here, okay? We're here. We're having fun. We're gonna escape this reality for just an hour, so. Sit back, alright? Enjoy this little story about, you know, a serial killer on Serial Killer Sunday, okay? It's gonna be fun, alright? So, without further ado, let's get into this beautiful episode on Harold Shipman. Alrighty, so Sir Harold Frederick Shipman was born in Bestwood, Nottingham in the UK on June 14th. 1946, okay? Now, Harold, like any other serial killer that has ever been, you know, done in this world, was far from normal, alright? As a child, he was his mother's favorite kid out of the three children that she had. And Harold had an older sister who was seven years older than him and a younger brother that was four years younger than him. So, his mom, all right, his mom, this relationship between, you know, his mom and him was quite weird, like almost a little tiny bit incestual with how much she liked him, but it was, it, it was, yeah, it was weird, okay? Growing up, Harold's mom would decide, she was very controlling, and she would decide for him on, like, who we could hang out with, where we could hang out, 
and like who he could hang out with, right? Now, Harold's mom also even told him that he could only wear nine, I'm going to say only, but it was more like nine times out of 10. She would force him to basically dress business casual and wouldn't let him really wear any comfortable clothing like sweatpants, sweatshirts, stuff like that. And the reason she did this was to distinguish him from her own children, right? And this is a reoccurring theme in his childhood. And the reason she, you know, basically loved him more than any of her other children was that she saw Harold as the only promising child that she had. She was also very, very arrogant and she would, you know, instill this like arrogance into Harold's mind, right? One of the neighbors would come out and say that Vera, which is who is Harold's mom, was, you know, friendly enough, okay? But she really did see her family as superior to the rest of us. Not only that, you could tell Harold was her favorite and she would, well, he was the only one that she saw was promising. Now, as little Harold was growing up, he was actually pretty, like, kind of smart, but, like, only in grade school because after that, he was pretty below average when it came to secondary school. And on top of that, he failed his first entrance exam to get into medical school. But eventually, he passed on a second time, which we will come back to in a little bit, okay? Now, Harold, ever since he was a little kid, had very few friends like, you know, any other serial killer. But this time, it was, for him at least, it was mainly due to his mother. Like I said earlier, you know, she had driven that seed into his brain, making him think that he was better than everyone else, right? And it's not like he didn't have any opportunities to make friends. He had, you know an abundance of opportunities, okay? He was on the track team, and he was also a star football player. And I'm not talking, you know, American football, right? I'm talking field fairy football, the the soccer players, right? If you're in America. Now, I'm going to, this is going to be completely off topic. So, since I'm from Minnesota, right, we've always called soccer players up here field fairies. You know, when you're in middle school, high school, and you get into those debates on, like, what sport is the best, and then the soccer player comes in, and everybody just, like, gangs up on the soccer player and calls him a field fairy. I guess field fairy is, like, a degrading term to soccer players, and it's Minnesota slang for somebody that plays soccer, okay? I don't know if that's true. All right. I'm just going strictly off of Urban Dictionary. All right. According to them, it's a Minnesota slang term. All right. I have no clue. Right. Then again, I've only ever lived in Minnesota except for two years. But still, I've never heard anybody else say field fairy except for like my friends and like people that I went to school with. Right. So I don't know if that is true. But I just wanted to say that because I thought it was funny and I wanted to shout out my home state. That was cringy. Ew. But yeah. And according to another source 
because I don't. One source said that he was a star, you know, soccer player, but then another source said he was a star rugby player. And the one, um, what is it? What is it? What is it? The one website that I was reading that said he was a star rugby player. That was like out of all of like the seven sources that I researched for this episode. They were the only one that said he was a star rugby player. Okay. So I assume that might've been a typo and sorry to clear my throat. I assume that might've been a typo and he actually was a star soccer player, but I just want to throw that out there just in case, you know, to cover my basis. Cause it, I saw bunch of different sources well one source saying he was a soccer player or no sorry one source saying he was a rugby player and the other like six said he was a soccer player okay now researchers that have like studied his case and his life they believe that since his mother contracted lung cancer and he was given priority to watch over her and take care of her that that also drove a wedge between him and, you know, him making other friends, all right? So, I'm not going to say his mom is the reason that he became a serial killer, but, because I don't, like, physically believe in that shit, like, I believe, okay, another thing, I believe that, um, you're kind of born with that, like, little nerve in your brain that you are a serial killer like you can do it right but I feel like growing up in an environment and seeing certain things that unlocks that little door inside your brain and it lets it pull out right so I think serial killers are born the way they are just because you know not everybody I don't think every not everybody can fucking do that right so I think like with Jeffrey Dahmer for example he didn't like if he grew up better that door might not have been unlocked where he would go and cannibalize people right but since he grew up you know with a broken family ish and a dad that was gone and would just leave him unattended for months well at one point months but not that you know what i mean right i think that that unlocked his little brain and those serial killer tendencies came out and after his dad also showed him how to dissect you know fucking roadkill I think that also unlocked that little you know door and that shit spilled out and that's why he became a serial killer because you know what I mean I, th- I hope that made sense okay I hope that made sense but now as his mother was getting more and more sick from lung cancer this is where he would develop like a weird and sickening love for morphine that would actually play a huge role in his crimes that you know were eventually you know coming right every day Harold would run home after school and once he reached his house he would prepare a cup of tea for his mom and he would bring it up to her where he would then sit and just talk to her about his day or whatever is going on in his life all night long Now, he's a mama's boy, but that's because, you know, his mom cherished him out of the other ones. But as his mom got sicker and sicker by the minute and just frailer by the day, a local physician would, you know, come over to the shipman's house 
and just dose up Vera with some of the most hardcore opiate drugs, right? Especially morphine. Like, you know, it was just that time where a lot of people were given morphine, right? Now, Harold would watch the doctor dose up Vera and Harold realized how well it took away his mother's pain. And this is where that fascination truly started. But unfortunately for Harold's mom, the morphine wouldn't help keep her alive and she would eventually pass away on June 21st, 1963, when Harold was just 17. Now after Harold's mom died, it sent him into a tremendous grieving stage. I mean, other than losing your mom, which would be horrible and it would feel awful, he also lost the only person in his life that told him that he was better than everyone else and quote-unquote saw something like truly inside of him, which is kind of weird if you think about it. She saw, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, you know what I mean. Now, after his dad died, or, well, hold on, sorry, not dad. I'm dyslexic sometimes, and I said died, and I thought it said dad, but... After his mom died, two years would pass before he would get into medical school. Like I said earlier, he failed his first entrance exam, but passed on the second time he took the test. Now attending Leeds University Medical School, former students and teacher would tell teachers, not teacher, teachers would tell reporters that he was very quiet, and when a joke was cracked in class, he would only smile and not join in on the fun. They never remembered him ever having a girlfriend, and one teacher would even come out and say that he would take his sister to the school dance dances, which is really, really fucking weird. That is really weird, right? And that teacher can go on, continue to say that he was a weird and pretentious lad, and that they made a weird couple. And furthermore, some students even said that they don't ever remember him being in their class. Now, the only time that his personality truly changed, according to the students, was when he was playing football, all right? They would say, that's when, like, when he hit the field, that's when his anger, aggression, and will to win would come out. Where he became verbal and would talk to people, you know, and just became an athlete. You know, like LeBron Jamis, or Steph Curry, or someone like that, I guess. I don't fucking know. Not me, because I never got drafted. Whatever, scouts. Fuck you guys. Alright, now... While Harold was going to school at Leeds University, he ended up meeting a girl named Rose. Now, when the two lovebirds met, Harold was 19 and Rose was 16. Ew, pedophilia. Now, Rose had a similar childhood to Harold's. Rose's mom basically controlled her entire life, just like how Vera controlled Harold's. So, when Harold turned 20 and Rose turned 17, it wasn't really much of a shocker that they would decide to get married. And at the time of their marriage, 
Rose was also five months pregnant. Pregnant? Pregnant. Now, by the time 1974 hit, Harold was, you know, a father of two children and was working at a medical facility in Todd Morton. And this is the point in the story where he underwent like a massive character transformation. For some reason, Harold decided to be extremely outgoing and this had turned him into a very well-respected person within his community. Or, I mean, within, I shouldn't say within, like, the community. is more within, like, his patients' eyes. They saw him as, like, this awesome, nice person that, you know, did everything to help them. He was just a good doctor to them. But to his colleagues they saw a whole different side of him. According to the staff members at this medical facility, they would say that Harold was rude for no reason and even made some of them feel stupid. He was also very confrontational and had a very specific way of getting things done, which often led to arguments between him and his colleagues even with more experienced doctors at his practice. And with this sort of mentality that it's basically, you know, my way or the highway, he started to control everything that was done and like said at the medical facility. But since he was so good at his job and he was just a good doctor and really good with his clients, a lot of the senior partners saw Harold as an angel, like basically sent from the heavens, right? One doctor named Michael Grieve appreciated the fact that Harold would provide up-to-date information within the medical field since he just got out of med school. And another thing, Harold would switch, like if you were a lower, like if we're looking at like the doctor hierarchy, if you were anything lower than Harold, he would treat you like shit. But if you were above him, if you were superior to him, he would basically kiss your ass and try to please you in the best way possible, right? That's just what he did. It's just who he is, right? Now, I guess it's fortunate for the clinic, but unfortunate for Harold because his time at this clinic came to a very abrupt stop. And the reason for that is, is because Harold started having frequent blackouts that he said were from epilepsy. Now, Harold never had epilepsy. Harold had used that condition as a cover-up for what truly was going on. One day, while the practice receptionist Marjorie Walker was going through some old files at the clinic, she happened to stumble upon some really weird and alarming entries in the druggist's controlled narcotics ledger. In that ledger, it showed that Harold had been prescribing large and frequent amounts of pethidine 
to several of his patients, okay? Quick note, like half of these articles that I did research said pethidine and the other half said diamorphine. So I kind of switch them back and forth. They're basically the same thing, but I switch them back and forth throughout the story, all right? Harold had also written these prescriptions on behalf of the clinic, which means that, you know, they had these drugs on hand in the medical facility in case of an emergency, meaning you wouldn't have to go to the local drugstore to get them filled, which isn't really alarming because, you know, a lot of hospitals like in today, I assume, still have drugs like pethidine on hand or stuff like that. You know how when you are leaving the hospital and they said, yeah, you can just go to the pharmacy counter here and you can pick up your prescription. That's kind of what it was like, all right? But the alarming part of these files was strictly because of the amount that he was prescribing was way too excessive. Now, like I said just five seconds ago, pethidine is a drug that is very similar to morphine. And back in the day, the doctors were allegedly told that pethidine had no addictive properties. But with, you know, advancement in medicine, technology, and unfortunately with the opioid pandemic, there are still debates on if pethidine is addictive or not, right? Which I assume it fucking is, right? Because obviously Harold got addicted to it. So like, yeah, he was popping pethidine, right? So after these files were found at the clinic, they started to covert an investigation, right? They started a covert, you know, investigation, right? It is Modern Warfare 2, right? You're playing, you're, you're, you're Soap and Craig McTavish is, he's just like, let's fucking go Soap or Captain Price. He's like, we got to, you know, stealthily move around these fucking people and blow the brains out, right? That's basically what they did, just minus the killing, all right? They did a covert operation investigation and they did it into Harold and why he kept prescribing these medications, right? Now, this investigation was led by Dr. John Dacry and Dr. John, you know, after doing some digging, found out that most of the patients that Harold had prescribed pethidine to either didn't receive the drug or didn't require it for whatever reason they were visiting, you know, Harold for. Now, after finding out this new information, Dr. John held a staff meeting and he confronted Harold about the prescriptions. And according to Dr. Grieve, who was also present in that staff meeting, he would tell reporters that we were sat around with Fred sitting on one side. And up comes John to the opposite and says, now, young Fred, can you explain this? And he puts before him evidence that he has been gleaning, showing that young Fred had been prescribing pethidine to patients and they'd never received the pethidine. And in fact, the pethidine had found its way into Fred's very own veins. Like I said a little bit ago, yes, our serial killer, Harold Shipman, was using pethidine that he was prescribing to his patients for himself to chase a high that he just fucking enjoyed, right? Now, after Dr. John confronted Harold about, you know, the drugs and stuff like that, 
Harold started to beg and plead for a second chance, knowing that this situation was going to get him fired, and it did. So, after he was denied his second chance and knowing that he would eventually be fired, Harold stormed out of the office, leaving a wake of chaos. And I mean, he was throwing medical bags, shouting just the worst cuss words at clients and other people in there, right? And he just, you know, walked out that fucking door, just terrorizing that office and threatened to resign, right? Now, shortly after the massive outburst by Harold, his wife stormed into the clinic where she would find all of the other doctors sitting around and talking about what they're going to do with Harold. And as they were, you know, talking, Rose rudely interrupted them and said that her husband will never resign and that they will have to force him out of the clinic. And she was basically right, because in 1965, he was forcibly removed from the clinic and was forced into a drug and rehab center, right? Now, he only worked at that clinic for, you know, one year, but because of the drug offenses, prescription fraud, and forgery, his karma would catch up to him, and two years later, he found himself in a legal battle with the court system, all right? And they sent him to that rehab facility to part of him, you know, being guilty of all three of those crimes, all right? And other than that rehab that he had to go through after being convicted, he only had a fine that would turn out to be like 600 pounds. I don't know what that is in American dollars, but it was 600 pounds, all right? Now, some researchers and reporters do speculate that there is a possibility that maybe he was actually using those pethidine prescriptions to start his serial killer career, okay? But I could only find one case pointing to where this could be true, which we will cover in a little bit. Now, usually, especially in today's times, if a doctor is found you know, guilty and charged with the exact same charges that Harold was convicted of, they'd more than likely have their doctor's license revoked and would never be able to become a doctor again. But that wasn't true for our serial killer, Harold. Harold was able to become a general practitioner within two years of his conviction and his rehab stint. And after he shopped around and applied at multiple different clinics, eventually he was able to hook one. Donnie Brook Medical Center decided to hire him in 1977. Now, this clinic was located in Hyde, which is a suburb in Manchester. Dr. Jeffrey Mosey, who hired Harold, would come out and tell reporters that his approach was that I have this problem, this conviction for abuse of pethidine. I have undergone treatment. I am now clean. All I can ask you to do is to trust me on that issue and to watch me. Now, Harold would work at this clinic for 15 years before opening up his own practice in 1993. Now, while he worked at Donnybrook, he used the exact same blueprint 
that he used at the previous clinic that he got fired from. He was only nice and compassionate with the colleagues he was trying to impress. He was a dick to basically any colleague he thought that was lesser than him. And he was known as an extremely nice and caring doctor to his patients. But everyone that he came into contact with, especially his patients, didn't know that the good doctor was capable of killing 250 other people, or specifically his patients. Yes, he killed 250 patients, roughly. Some people think it's all the way up in the 450s, but who knows? There is just a rough estimate. We'll get down to that more towards the end of the story, all right? So, before I go into his method of killing and why he did it, I do have to say, since he had so many victims, there is no specific story on each victims, like how it usually is with most serial killers, you know, like they do the first victim, like another victim that was pretty gruesome, and then they do the crime that got them caught. This one, it doesn't do that, okay? It just goes to the crime that got him caught, okay? And... It's just because he has so many fucking victims. That's why it doesn't really go into any detail. He had so many victims and he killed them all basically the same way, right? It's just, he was very, um, a creature of habit when it came to his serial killer career, right? Now, remember when I said earlier that he may have been, you know, killing patients at the very first clinic he worked at? Well, I'm going to backtrack real quick back to 1975 to that clinic where he allegedly took his first victim. His first victim that he allegedly killed was 70-year-old Eva Lyons in March of 1975. Now, this case isn't only tragic because he killed someone and that someone happened to be an elderly woman with the family, but... She happened to die at the hands of Harold a day before her birthday. Now, this is alleged. I don't, I, this is the only, I couldn't find a whole lot on it. And most of the stuff that I read said it was alleged. So this is allegedly what happened. This is allegedly his first victim. Okay. Now, you remember, you know, those, well, stuttered. Hold on. Brain fart. Okay. Rewind. Remember earlier in his career, he had all those pethidine pills and remember how we got charged and caught and fired from his first clinic. Well, after he got fired from that clinic, for some reason, he didn't get kicked out of the general medical council and they only gave him a warning letter. Now, according to investigation investigators, Harold's serial killer career was basically like any other serial killer. It's just, it's the same shit. It really is. It is the exact same shit. He would kill a bunch of people in a row and then stop for a little while. Then he would kill a bunch of people again and then he would stop for another little while and he did this for fucking decades, all right? Just like any other average normal serial killer. Now, Harold's method for killing his victims was always the same. He would target the vulnerable and it didn't matter if you were a 93-year-old named Ann Cooper who was actually his oldest victim 
or if you were a 41-year-old named Peter Lewis who happened to be his youngest victim, right? Did not care, right? He killed them all the same. He was a non-prejudiced serial killer. Well, I mean, I guess he wasn't really prejudiced in his method of killing. He might have been racist, but like, I didn't know Harold, so I can't confirm nor deny that. So he could have been just, he could have been prejudiced. He could have hated people that weren't white. I don't know. I don't know, all right? He was just non-prejudiced in his serial killer practices, okay? Now, once he singled out which victim he wanted to kill, he would inject them with a lethal dose of diamorphine or pethidine and either watch them die right in front of him or would send them home to die in their recliner chair, right? Now, while he worked at Donnybrook, he allegedly killed 71 people and then killed the rest of his victims at his home practice that he opened up in 1993. In total, he allegedly killed 171 victims that were female and 44 male, well, 44 of those, you know, 40, whoa, what the fuck? Okay, here, let me backtrack. He killed 170 victims. 170, I'm trying to, okay. I'm trying to say 171 victims were female and he, no, I don't like the way that sounds either, okay? We're just gonna go with this. We're just gonna go with this. He killed 171 women and he killed 44 men, all right? Now, out of his 30-plus years as a doctor and serial killer, I don't know anybody within the medical world who, you know, I don't know how they didn't catch on. I don't know how they didn't catch on, right? Like, how did you not catch on, people? Like, I don't get... This dude was killing people for 30 years, and these medical professionals or whoever was overseeing the whole, you know, medical world just didn't catch on, right? But they, thankfully, they did eventually catch on because he got caught, spoiler alert, in 1998. And, well, I guess I should say a group of people caught him-ish in 1998. It didn't fully stop his reign of terror, but it was a step in the right direction. Undertakers within the community in Hyde started becoming very suspicious of Shipman because a number of his patients started dying. And for the people that don't know what an undertaker is, and I'm not talking about the wrestler, okay? It's another name basically for a, a funeral home director. Now, after they started realizing that Harold's patients were dying, they brought their concerns to the neighboring medical practices. And then they started to investigate Harold. And what these neighboring medical clinics found was that Harold's death rate was 10 times higher than any doctor within the Hyde community. So after finding out, you know, this information, the other medical clinics brought their evidence to the Manchester Police Department to hopefully investigate Harold's background. And sort of try and bring light to the situation on why he is like why his death rate is so higher but the Manchester police didn't they failed to do even the most basic of background checks 
Now, if they would have done a background check, they would have found out that he has a criminal record. But Harold was smart. Even if the police were to come to him and question him, he had written down false illnesses that his victims had died to just to cover his tracks. And because he had written down those false illnesses on his patient files, investigators basically dismissed him and couldn't find any cause or concern. But his career as a human and a serial killer was it was coming to an end by this time, right? His last victim, well, his last and final victim, was Kathleen Grundy, an 81-year-old female who just happened to be the former mayor of Hyde. Now you may be wondering, Dusty, how did Harold get caught? And my response to your question is that he tried... uh, He's so stupid. This is the dumbest way to get caught. He tried forging her will. So here is basically what happened. After he killed Kathleen with a lethal dose of diamorphine, he got a hold of her will and checked the cremation box to cover up the drugs that he dosed her with. He then went to his typewriter to write her entire family out of the will and replace them with him. But thankfully, Kathleen was buried after her family insisted on it. After Kathleen was put, you know, six feet deep, her daughter Angela Woodruff was notified by local solicitors about the will. And that's when her red flag alarm shot up. And she went straight to the police to let them know, you know, like, hey, this is what the fuck is going on. And after, you know, the police were notified, they dug up Kathleen's body and ran a toxicology test in August of 1998. And this toxicology test that, you know, they did on Kathleen found diamorphine in her muscles. And since Harold's name was on that will, along with all of the deaths that have, occur- have been caused under his you know, care, he would eventually be arrested on September 7th, 1998. Now, after Harold was arrested, for the next two months, the police would go and exhume 11 bodies that were former patients of Harold that had died under his care. The police would also go on and search through Harold's surgery computer. And what they found was basically all the evidence that they needed. They discovered that Harold had made false entries to support fake causes of death that he gave on his victim's death certificates. All right. Now, when the police questioned Harold on why diamorphine was found in Kathleen's body, he lied and said, pointing to his report on her, that she was addicted to morphine like drug, a morph, well, I butchered that. She was addicted to a morphine-like drug or heroin, right? But thankfully, these new police officers were smart and they knew he was lying because the police were able to verify and identify 14 other cases or people that he had killed with a lethal dose of diamorphine or pethidine while also also falsely registering their deaths and tampering with their medical history to show 
that they were dying anyways. Now, while he was arrested and being detained, Harold denied all allegations that were being put on him, like, like any other fucking idiot that gets thrown in jail for murder or something like that, right? He refused to talk or cooperate with police, and whenever the police showed him photos of his victims, he would shut his eyes, yawn, and just basically look away from the evidence. But thankfully, with all of this evidence that was found in his computer and within the victims, the police were able to charge Harold in 2000 with 15 murders, and he was given life in prison with the recommendation that he should never be released. Now, even though he was charged with 15 murders, some reporters and specialists believe that he actually killed between, like I said earlier, 250 and 450 fucking people. That is in fucking sane. I mean, for him it was easy, because he could, I mean, back then, you know, because what, it was like 75 when he got fired and 98 when he got caught. I mean, you got to think, technology isn't that good back then, so he really could have killed all those fucking people. And a doctor is the easiest way to do it, right? Like I know, um, I keep mentioning his name, but he's this, I want to, we'll do an episode on him eventually. But like this one's um, hitman, this mobster for the, well, this hitman for the mob, that's what I'm trying to say, sorry. He would just spray cyanide on people and they never caught him. Well, they eventually did caught him because he started getting sloppy when he got older. But, yeah, he fucking, yeah, he would just spray cyanide on people and they would die. And, yeah, he goes, there's a YouTube video on him. I forgot his name, but I'll probably tell it soon and I'll do an episode on him. But he, he started to explain in one of his interviews that, like, you know, it's out of the system within like two days or some shit like that. Cyanide is so, but I'll do a video on him and we'll break it down even more and I can share it. You know, we'll be able to do that. Okay. So after he, you know, got this, after Harold got this hefty conviction, he was sent off to Wakesfield prison in West Yorkshire, where he ended up committing suicide on January 13th, 2004, literally a day before his 58th birthday, a Wakefield prison guard found Harold hanging in his cell. A lot of people believe that his motive for killing, you know, all of his victims was to avenge his mother's death, right? While others believe he had a God complex so bad that he needed to prove to everyone that he could take a life as well as save it. And that is the episode on Harold fucking Shipman. Just, I hope I didn't scare you too much because not going to lie, I'm going to be thinking about this every time I go to the doctors. Like if I go to the hospital, I'm sitting there and doc goes, hey, Dusty, we're going to put an IV in you. And be like, okay. Just that little thought of maybe what if they're dosing me up with some, some like fucking diamorphine and killing me. Oh, Right? Fucking creepy to think about. They have a lot of power in those hospitals. If you think about it, they really do. They can save you or they can let you die. Right? I'm not saying that, you know... I'm not saying that it's like incredible. Sorry, I had a burp. That's why there was a long pause. Okay? I don't know if you heard it, 
but I burped. It's just, yeah, doctors have a lot of fucking power in those places. Don't piss off your doctor or you might end up to be one of their victims, right? Just saying, right? Keep, keep that in your little brain, okay? Dr. Ludovic comes in there and you are like, Doctor, I've been waiting here for four fucking hours and now you're just seeing me? What the fuck, doctor? Don't be doing that. Don't be doing that or you might be getting an IV full of diamorphine and you might be dying, right? Just saying, right? But yes, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. I hope you guys had a good weekend. You know, it's just got to get through this week, right? Just got to get through this week, all right? And I'll see you guys on Tuesday. Tomorrow, I'm going to be releasing an episode. It's going to be a surprise. It's an interview. So, well, it's an interview from a different channel that I went on. If that makes sense? It's not my episode. I just got the audio file from the guy that, you know, did the episode. Strange Brew Podcast. That's who it was with, okay? Great people over there. Love them. So, that's going to be coming out tomorrow, probably at noon-ish, right? But yeah, I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day. Don't do anything too crazy, right? Don't want to start the week off too rough, okay? But, yeah, I hope you guys have a good rest of your day, alright? So, remember, stay frosty, stay foxy, and most importantly, the most important thing on this planet, stay safe, you beautiful peacocks. I love y'all. Deuces.